Hey, this is Edwin Outwater, conductor and musical director of SNM2, and you're listening to And Podcast for All. Welcome to Podcast for All. I'm Shane Obershaw. And I'm Jeff Winslow. Jeff, how much wine do you drink? Well, not a lot, but I I have drank it before in my life, and I really like it. I know it's it's made from grapes. That's a start. That you step on with your bare feet? <laughs> I mean, when you've drank it, are we talking bottles, liters, gallons, barrels? What's your what's your yearly consumption? Oh, definitely not barrels, bottles. Fair enough. First time you drank wine, what age? Probably like 10, 11 years old. <laughs> what? I hung out with older people and my whole life, my best friend is four years older than me. His brother is three, four years older than him. So you can imagine that, you know, by the time he was, be you know, in his teenage years, his older brother, here's the little kid hanging out with him. And wow, I just kind of tagged along and had some fun. And yeah, I'm pretty sure the first time I, I drank wine, I, th- I drank like almost a whole bottle. <laughs> yeah, you got me beat by about five years. Tonight, we're going to the wine capital of the world, Sonoma County, California. We're talking the bread and butter of the wine world. Now you're talking. Six generations of this family, dating back to 1857, they come from Germany. It's the oldest family winery in California. Yeah, I was checking out their website, uh, gunbun.com, and amazing property. Um, the the pictures alone, I was, I was absolutely blown away. I want to go visit that place just off of the website. Beautiful property. I love that website name, gunbun.com. Dot com. They've got private and public tours, uh, group tastings, private events, parties. They host weddings. They even have a hillside amphitheater. How cool is that? That's pretty cool. Maybe we should go out there and play a show someday. Play a gig. But uh, I think it might be hard to play a gig because they've had a little bit bigger garage band there uh, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I might have heard of them. The quote on the gentleman who we're going to talk to about his business says, Our life here at Bunshu Company with its wine and good people has always been about laughter, hard work, enjoying the inspiration that comes from being in such a beautiful place, and sharing what we have with our friends and neighbors, which I think he needs to edit now and add dot, dot, dot. And then I'm going to add neighbors that might have been a little pissed off from the first downbeat of a song called Hardwired. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm sure they made a little bit of noise out there. Just like in James's uh, 1989 banter, if I was a neighbor, I'd be mighty fucking pissed off right now. (laughs) (laughs) You ready to get to it, Jeff? We're good. Let's let's do it. Live from Sonoma, California, Gunlock Bunchu Winery, Mr. Jeff Bunchu. How you doing, Jeff? Good, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Shane. Hi, Jeff. It's all good. How you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Um, something tells me right now some challenging times in California. I saw a picture the other year of San Francisco. It looked like Mars. It it really did. Uh, yeah, that uh, I thought it was a scene out of Blade Runner. <laughs> it, it, it was. It was. It was last week, and it you know we've we've had some smoke the last couple of years. This time of year, not quite this early, but it was those pictures did it justice. It was red all day. It was super eerie and it was that's crazy. It was crazy. It was, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty resilient, but I have to say that that single day kind of shook everybody because they'd never seen it like that. It looked like uh, a friend of mine who'd been in Alaska said that it never got lighter than that. That it was like about 1130 p.m. in Alaska, like what it would be like a sunset that just the sun never really came up. And when it did, it turned red. So it was uh, it was it was eerie. But, you know, the good news is it happened a couple weeks after the said garage band showed up. So uh, they didn't have to worry about any of that. That would have been a pretty cool backdrop though, as they're playing it looking like a scene out of total recall. You know, that would have, uh, it would, it would have been, it, it, <laughs> I would have made the most of it. <laughs> Jeff, you got, you got six generations of your family that started this. When did you take over? Uh, in the early 2000s, probably mid 2000s, when I when I finally started really kind of taking it over, it's a it's this uh, it's a beautiful vineyard as you pointed out. It's been uh, in my family for that long. We've been growing 
wine grapes there forever, um, and but almost as long. So my, my ancestors came over from what's now Germany in the 1850s. They missed the gold rush in San Francisco by one year. Um, wow. Someone told them that they'd make my Jacob Gunlock, they'd make more money if he'd make more money if he brewed beer and sold it to miners that were depressed because they didn't find any gold. And so he sold enough beer to buy the land. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but what's interesting is the whole history that we've been making wine and our, our focus really is kind of making great wine from that estate. We've also been uh, kind of motivated to, to share it with people in the context of sharing art and music. So there's been music on the property that goes back like pre pre prohibition at least. Um, so uh, it's not like we came out of nowhere to, to do this. We're always big to share, you know, wine's always good when you're with people and then when you're experiencing something that's fun. Absolutely. Um, is this harvesting season right now? Yep. We're right uh, in the middle of it. We started uh, about three weeks ago and that's what makes the smoke a little more challenging, you know? Um, gotcha. Yeah. Every know. time I think of your harvest process, you're probably familiar with this. There was a news anchor 10 years ago that was live on the air up on a riser stomping in a barrel. She trips, falls over, and gets the wind knocked out of her. Have you seen this clip? It kind of went viral. <laughs> no, but but that actually happened with one of our like customer grape stomp parties once before. So it was so it's horrible. parties. Well, we don't. We did it once for our like our our. We have a we have a great dynamic wine club. It's kind of like a fan club. And so one year we decided to like get in get into it. We don't. We don't do that as a habit, and sure enough, somebody fell right off the back of the truck. <laughs> I'll have to send you the clip, but I think it went viral, and she was live on the air for a morning show in a oh. pretty ugly situation. Jeff, why is uh, why is your part of the world the the hotspot for this kind of business? Well, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it has to do with the, the mildness of the weather. So, um, you know, and, and also, so it, it never really freezes. And when it does, it's in the, it's deep in the winter time when the vines are dormant. Um, and so they can handle it and it never gets, well, it shouldn't say never lately. It's gotten pretty warm, but it never gets too hot. And the secret ingredient is the, the difference between the daytime high and the daytime low. And okay. that's like the special sauce that you'll see in any wine growing region around the world where they, where they pride themselves on wine quality. What makes a, an, a, a good wine interesting in aging ageability is the balance of like fruit and sugar and acid. And so those two things are kind of competing forces in the context of a, of a wine and you need to have heat to ripen the grapes, to get the fruit flavor and the brightness of the, the, the sort of nuance of the flavor. And then you need to have that kind of stop so the acid can catch up and that acid fruit balance works. And that's what they kind of, that's what works. That's why it does well in Sonoma and Napa here. It's why it does well in Mediterranean climates around, you know, Italy and France and Spain. It's that whole differential effect. So location, it sounds like is it's, the is really the main ingredient here. It's it's super key. I mean, they uh, luckily my ancestors they had they had a little background in Germany or what wasn't quite Germany then when they came, so they knew what they were looking for. Um, but that's really it, and that's that's why, you know, even if you see wineries and you know in in places that don't have that where it could be more humid uh, or or more cold, it generally the wine isn't as good because it's either you know, it doesn't get cold enough at night or it doesn't get warm enough long enough during the growing season. So it's got to have this kind of perfect balance of, 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 of seasons that are pretty mild. It's, you know, I really want to try some of your wine. What he, what he, what he's saying is, is Minnesota and Florida is not the hot spot for a winery. Jeff. Yeah, I, I, you know, like you guys, I didn't want to call both your States out, but, <laughs> but no, not, no, there's a reason oranges do well there. And, well, nothing, nothing does well in Minnesota, maybe wild rice or something, but you know, we're getting ready to hit some pretty cold temperatures in the next few months. Yeah. And that, and that really just, you, you know, you can't, not only do you, can you not get the grapes ripe, but the frost will, you, you, that'll just kill the vines. Right. In yeah. addition to all your, your wine, Jeff, it sounds like it's kind of an entertainment complex for private parties, events, uh, weddings in 
even a hillside amphitheater. Yeah, you know, I mean, we didn't get into it for that. It was we've always wanted to focus on the wine, and then um, and then you know, people as people wanted to do more on the site, it became a great business opportunity for us. And the amphitheater actually was built because my dad's friend at the time had a daughter that was an actress and was doing a Shakespeare uh, company, and my dad agreed to let them build this stage on this amphitheater and never went to one of those damn plays my whole life. And I, in a midlife crisis, I'm like <laughs> doing, doing plays. I love music. So that's sort of, you know, where I sort of started to use that to bring music and and we've been bringing music to the place ever since, mostly as a passion, but also as an excuse to bring new, new people to the winery. Cause it's an old winery. Very cool. looks like a beautiful location. So you take over in the early two thousands, and then your phone rings in 2020 from a little band called Metallica. Yeah. So walk us through the day that your phone rang. You know, um, the backstory is you sort of lesson is be nice. All the, I mean, that's kind of our mantra anyway, but always be nice and, uh, and deliver what you say you're going to deliver. And that the phone ringing for the show for Metallica actually you know, the seed for that was planted probably 10 years prior where, wow. as I, and I, and I, you know, and I don't know about the seed for, I, I think that's a fair statement. We, we, you know, I love, I was in a, in a band in college and then came home to grow apes, still loved music, really love, especially like young, I was, you know, emerging music. And like I said, probably 10 plus years ago, I started to say, you know, we have this old brand, this old winery, it'd be nice to bring young people to it. Um, so I started calling agents that were routing bands between Portland and San Francisco that um, I thought maybe I could get to play. And I was taking a gamble that I could get the kids to come and they'd try wine or at least they'd bring their parents because nobody was doing any sort of it was it's all kind of alt music. Um, I, you know, I like hip hop and I like some loud stuff, but I was kind of aiming in the more sort of tolerable indie stuff that applies appeals to a couple of wider variety but i ended up sure. getting some good bands to come through um and over the course kind of evolved into a pretty decent venue where you don't really we, we do like 12 shows a year and they're super curated so you know they started with beggars can't really be choosers we you know they were all signed indie bands with record labels but since then we've gotten you know like um like the biggest, loudest band we've had is an old is Dinosaur Junior. If you know that band out of uh, oh yeah, Boston. I know there. Um, we we um, had you know, but we've had mostly like uh, we've had as old the legendary bands as like Television and um, uh, you, you know we 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 have, but we've also had like Parquet Courts and Mac DeMarco. Yep, yep. You know, kind of just some groovy stuff. Uh, but some decent, well-known names. Yeah, no, we've, we, you know, stuff that people can move along to and, you know, yeah, just kind of wine, loosen up, have a good, you know, social time. Yeah, that's, that's basically it, you know, and, and, um, so, you know, when I was trying to figure out how to do that, I was meeting anybody I could in the music world. And it turns out a lot of people who are in, who work in the music business like wine. And a long time ago, uh, a guy who, who sells wine on the East Coast, put together this trip for some people who bought it at an auction to come out and tour a few wineries and Mars was one of them. And when I heard that it was a music industry thing, I'm like, I'll give that tour. Cause I was trying to meet anybody I could. And on that tour was a fellow named Tony D. Is that name ring a bell to you guys? Very yep. familiar. So he, you know, he was on there and, and uh, we kind of hit it off. I mean, it was an, it was a great, I didn't really know what he did. I was, I didn't ask a lot of questions. I, I didn't know what he did. I just sort of was picked up that he worked for some big bands. And I, when I finally, he was in town for this, uh, corresponding with the festival we have here called bottle rock. And one of his artists was coming in to play here. And I made the joke of like, I think he basically must've called Eric church, the country guy on the airplane to see like when he was, I asked him to play and Tony like called him to see what, to, to figure out what time it was. And I said, <laughs> I would go, I bet you miss like uh, the days that you were on like vans and tour bus vans. And he goes, Jeff, I, I never was on vans. I went straight to jets. Def Leppard was my first tour. <laughs> oh, must be rough. Right to I the private jet. Because we maybe, you know, my, I have a buddy that's a tour manager and has been forever. 
with some bands like I just mentioned, and that's sort of what got me rekindled. But we judge our bands sort of by the one we're like, if a bus comes through our place, we're feeling, feeling pretty excited. Um, but anyway, we kept in touch. And then I, you know, I got this, he was working at Q prime at that time. And, um, you know, and then randomly in another situation, I met, uh, Mark Ryder. So I, and I knew that, you know, Kurt has, Kurt has a, uh, has, has lived around here, at least has come around here occasionally. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew it was in the ether. And then once we kind of demonstrated what's interesting about being a, a, a producer or a promoter now that I, I kind of am a producer, I have a partner that helps bring in the, the, the talent, but very quickly you learn that, that, uh, in wine and most customer service businesses, it's the customer that matters the most in in a thing. But when you're trying to bring artists who can play anywhere they want to your venue, the artist is almost more important. Like making sure they're comfortable is almost as important. Right. And so we, we, we did pretty well. We bent over backwards to do good hospitality. And I think once, you know, I, I think so predating that call was a bit of a track record for bringing bands in being able to sort of demonstrate that we could produce and we could kind of hold our own and not freak out. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't, I, of course I was surprised and I, you know, basically shit my pants when I heard it was actually going to happen. <laughs> um, but I was, it, you know, I guess when I would, before it happened, I was sort of thinking, I guess it could, but it would take like, it would take a world pandemic for something like that to happen. So Tony and Mark from Q Prime reached out first. Yeah, uh, what's that? Yeah, Tony did. Okay, he reached out, and and he's he, you know I don't he's not even with them anymore right now. I don't think so. He reached out, and he you know, but typical thing, it's like a three word text. Hey, you guys open on these dates, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, what I mean, I knew. Yeah, buddy, what do you need? <laughs> yeah, right. And so, and then the 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 thing that ended up happening though is because California is really you know, rightfully locked down because of a lot of COVID action. And, you know, I was nervous about the protocol of bringing them up because I didn't want any bad mojo. And, uh, and then, and then ironically, and the, you know, just as we were about to sign to have them show up, we were doing this little uh, like acoustic thing with Chris Robinson, who's also a friend of the wineries. And he, he was coming in un- unnamed, you know, and we, we're basically, he was going to play like he would have been playing at a restaurant. Very cool. And, uh, but we sold some tickets and somehow somebody forwarded the ticket link to our supervisor. And I got this email like, what are you doing? It sets a bad precedent. And I'm like, oh my God. So we had to cancel mm-hmm. the show. And then in the middle of it, at that point, I'm like, we are locking down. No one is going to know what is going on on this property. We're lucky that we have this property that kind of backs up. We, we nicknamed the, the the band Pluto, and we never came to again. <laughs> I, I, you know, the band the project became Pluto. It became a commercial shoot. When those guys got when the when the crew got in to load in that first night, I made like they had to have all the Metallica stuff taped down because we still had customers around. I don't want anybody, and so. So all the logos on the road cases were covered up. Everything was covered, and and you know, except that a couple of the crew guys had their hats on, and somebody in my crew saw. Only only five people in my company knew what was going on, and but I, as 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 monumental as it was to get the band there was the fact that nobody in our tiny little gossip centric town ever heard about it. So that was that's awesome. Yeah. Everyone kept their mouth shut. That's good. They did, you know, they 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 did, and it and it ended up being, you know, ended up being. I could see your five employees seeing Pluto loading and going, whoa, this no-name band's got a lot of gear. It was definitely. (laughs) And honestly, when Tony called and he's like, I mean, it's like four guys. What could it be? Because we get a lot of bands. And I'm like, like, oh, my God. They came. uh, They came. This band travels with multiple, multiple, multiple semis. It was like that. And they, they, uh, for this, they really kind of keyed it down. And, you know, they kind of stuff from their from their spot here but it was you know it was a magical magical experience and, uh, so at this point are are you familiar with the band or is it just you know who they are by name only or or were you a fan of the band's music at the time so the answer to the last question is no honestly i but the first question is yes like they're we're close to the same age and i'm here in northern california and so mm-hmm. we're like kind of parallel to my universe my entire coming of age as a music fan but i never 
jumped over. I was very familiar with them early on, but I, I was more on the sort of hardcore punk, believe it or not. And like, hip- okay, yeah, sure. And I was kind of going back and forth between those. And about the time that I would have, and a bunch of my friends did like dive in and see Metallica with Cliff back in the day in San Francisco, I was seeing the red hot chili peppers in their earliest. In- yeah. When they were underground and still like a bar band. Yeah. That was that, that, that became sort of my, they became my Nirvana, not with a small end and not a big end, but like when they cross sort of the heavy with, with funk and so, you know, the whole time that, you know, I've grown up since then. I've really focused on a lot of new music and I got into harder music, like kind of by, by set Soundgarden standards, you know, mm-hmm. or heavy duty metal. But ironically, a couple weeks be- even before this happened, and I'd seen because I know Tony, I saw Metallica once in San Francisco. It's just sort of a, a guess and it was a really killer show. But I, you know, I, I was aware that there's that band has a deep, fan base and i don't even pretend to be close to that <laughs> but i had been like i was i was doing a deep dive on rick rubin and you know rick rubin produced one of their records and then but but before i even got to that i was my first recent introduction to that kind of music was slayer and i started listening to slayer a lot of rick rubin produced albums right and so the the slayer it was ironic that i had just started getting into slayer you know, uh, you know, recently, I, I shouldn't say getting in, but experiencing it. And then this calls up. And then since that locked in, like I was telling you guys before we got on air, I, I definitely have been drinking from the fire hose, trying to get my head around the band and around sort of the vibe and, uh, and really have kind of become smitten, not only, you know, with by hand picking some of the music that it does resonate with me now, but the, the the family nature, two things about it were very special. One, just the community around the band itself and the crew was really yeah. rich. And, um, you know, it made me really appreciate what the guys themselves must be like in the, in the, in the, in the culture of them to have a crew like that. Two, they were, um, you know, the fact that they these guys are the best, the crew I'm talking about, and the management, they're the best at what they do. And they choose to stay with them because this band continues to push the envelope. It continues to try new things. It continues to like, um, uh, you know, do stuff that they don't rest on their laurels, you know? And then, and then finally just the, their um, appreciation for their fans is, uh, and their engagement is so, so admirable. All those things add up to like, as a, as a student and a fan of all music, all those things add up to things for me that make, make the community pretty rich and made it pretty easy for me to jump on the bandwagon, so to speak. It's amazing. After 30 years, uh, 30 plus years, I should say of them being a band, uh, being multimillionaires, the most famous, biggest, you know, rock metal band in the world. They still haven't forgotten where they came from. They appreciate their fans and, you know, they know that it's because of them and, you know, they take care of them by doing things like, you know, this movie that they did. It, it really was like that. And I, I remember my first impression when I went and saw him, it was, uh, it was actually for a fire relief show. They did. It was totally altruistic. It was in 2017 in San Francisco. I remember that. And I remember like these guys, can I swear on this podcast? I mean, of course. <laughs> I mean, they fucking brought it so heavy and so loud in this kind of incredible it was a, you know, it was a fundraiser. So it wasn't totally full of Metallica fans. It was full of just kind of a cross section. And I think the other. Wasn't Dave Matthews there? Y- yeah, he was there early on. That's right. Yeah, Dave. I think the other thing that they must like pinch themselves is like they get to play the shit as hard as they did when they were 20 right now. And, and like, right. not have to, they don't have to peel back anything. And that, that's got to be pretty gratifying if it doesn't kill them because it's definitely easy music <laughs> as we're diehard fans jeff we know all about their story of how the crew came out a week before and they all got a they got in their metallica bubble how much did their bubble have to match what you guys were doing with your bubble well it was uh it was pretty they had to be totally in sync they they locked into a, a little hotel in town the crew did um and they uh, you know, what we did was we identified the five people on our from our winery crew, all got people that a couple all people that have worked on music before that, you know, that we're all going to be 
that knew what the drill was. And we basically had to do the same uh, protocol that they did. And, and that meant that it was supposed to be two tests leading up to their arrival on the property, but one went south. One, they had a, one was a little bit of a, a, a false positive for a bunch of us. So we had to end up doing a, a few more, but it was, it was, it ended up being the safest possible place on the planet there for like 24 hours. It was incredible. So five people from your camp and I'm guessing maybe a dozen from theirs. And was that it? No. Yeah. It was probably, it was probably like 12 to probably like 15 total maybe for them, maybe 12. And then the, the day, what they did is they, they loaded in on a Saturday night they came back up on no band, just the crew did. Right. They showed up on Sunday for like a rehearsal, and then on Monday when they when they came to play, a few extra people came in, like Lars's kids, and but it was, <laughs> I mean, I'm not enough of a fan to like I, I you know I I now know, but they literally just walked right in front of me and started playing. They literally were 50 feet in front of me, and you know, as soon as they broke into Sandman, I'm like, I just looked at my wife. I'm like, I can't fucking believe what just is that this is happening right here. The biggest, <laughs> was, the biggest hard rock song taking place on your property with that band right there and nobody around. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was super. I'm it, sure you're you're probably thinking, you know, when you decided to start playing or start hosting concerts and having them. Uh, I'm sure the idea of having Metallica play there probably never crossed your mind. <laughs> no, you know, no, for, for, for all sorts of reasons, but they, you know, when, I mean, they're That's just so cool though. It was really a, it was an incredible experience. They, um, you know, they came and they played and, and it was, you know, I hadn't realized that though. I think the last time they played was this S and M two. So they hadn't been together for a while. So they were kind of stoked to be together, but yep. in, then in preparation for this, I just watched that and, uh, you know, I'm watching that. And I think I heard on your podcast, Shane, were you at that or were you there, Jeff? Or It was Shane. Yeah, I was there for both shows and who would have thought that'd be the last show for a long time. I can't believe you got to see that. I mean, what? That was beautiful. It must have been incredible. You know, from my perspective, not even really having a clue where they'd come from. I was like, I, it was hard for me to imagine that the four guys that were just in our, basically in our parking lot were, were <laughs> you know, I mean, they were, and, uh, you know, I had seen, um, some kind of monster like 10 or whenever that came out a million years ago. Oh, you saw the ugly years. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I mean, that was probably the deepest I got into Metallica in my life before this. And I remember in the middle of that movie being smitten and kind of, I'm a music guy. So I loved I, I, and I was in a band enough to know how hard it is. And I really admired, I admired the mission, which was like, I, I get that, like, you create something incredible when you're 20. And the idea that you need to bring that energy back, like, you, I, I'm not, I, I'm all power to trying to get at that one way or another. But I remember that was so painful in the middle of that movie. I'm like, what the hell are they even doing this for? I wasn't a fan. I didn't really know what they were there. And then at the end where they walk out onto, like, whatever it was brazil there's a hundred thousand people i'm like oh that's why they're doing that's why they're doing this <laughs> they're not they're, they're doing this because that's what's waiting for them if they can get it right like it all makes sense now yeah that's why that documentary started out as just a film crew filming them make their next record right and then everything that we know goes down the tubes and i give metallica a lot of credit management a lot of credit for keeping that film crew there to film something that came out to be 20 times bigger than just a regular album. And it was a look inside a band of that magnitude that not any other band would probably let happen these days. It was, you know, I mean, it was kind of a, it was a gift, I think to anybody that, uh, you know, <laughs> it's reminded me, it, you know, you get to see like, no matter how big you get, you still have to deal with shit. Like the shit show, yeah, it shows that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. No matter how big you are, at the end of the day, you're still a human being, just like everyone else. And, and, and that reminds me, in a microcosm, my one of my favorite things that happened the entire time that they were at the winery on the property was on that rehearsal night. They, you know, they got up there, and it was James and Robert, and and they were all four there, 
And they started like, you know, they were, they, this is rehearsals. So they weren't filming. They weren't dressed. They were just sort of, they'd done rehearsals, but they started to play a song that, you know, I didn't know what it was. You guys would have known if you heard it. Probably Fixer. <laughs> it was, oh, it was their new song. It was some song well, that they, that they couldn't, they didn't quite get right. And so James is like going to, to Robert, like, no, it's Dune, Dune, Dune. And Robert's like, well, I play it like this. And it's Dune. And like anybody that's ever been in a band, like Garage to the Top, it, they look like normal guys barking at, like, get the chords right. Like, in that part was like, sure. normal, you know? Just- yeah, to see them in such a raw, like, stripped down state compared to what everybody else sees them, you know, behind, you know, the camera. Um, that's. That's cool. That's amazing. To just- well, he's seen him in a setting with no fans, no media, barely any family. I mean, this is like straight up rehearsal with yeah, just crew. I mean, that's yep. raw. It's just the boys getting together and jamming. It was basically that. And, you know, and they were they were uh, and it was fun to see that, you know, I mean, they're the best in the world at what they do. And yet they still have to like they still have to rehearse. They still, they have, still have to work for it shit together. You know, they still have to like doesn't constantly. When I look at the pictures of your property, Jeff, were there any uh, weather contingencies built in? I was thinking, man, that's a lot of gear sitting on the hillside if it decides to rain that that evening. You know, they uh, it that the thing that's probably the most amazing backstory to that is the is the time frame. It happened so quick and it was confirmed so last minute that by the time it was confirmed, everybody could see that the 10 day weather forecast was was solid. But we were talking about like they literally missed you know, the, the week that the, the weekend, all these fires started was the weekend after they, they shot. That. So lucky. They, they just got really, they, you know, it was perfect and the weather was perfect. It was pretty spectacular. A friend of mine that works at a, at Pixar, which is a, the animated movie studio that happens to be in oh, yeah. California. And he came and the whole time when I told him that we were watching it like within a month of the time that it was actually originated, not shot. It was shot like three weeks before he couldn't believe how well that whole crew did it. It was. Yeah. The editing, the the sound of, they went to town on that. And from what I saw, just mobile. Fantastic. When you have yeah. someone from Pixar giving you props, you did something right. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, no kidding. I mean, it's, but it's, it's Metallica and that crew. I mean, they just, I think, and what's funny is a guy from live nation walked around with me. who was kind of the original site visit guy. Um, Tony had been here once before, but, but he, but then he asked this guy to do it. And he said, he goes, just look, Jeff, everybody on that crew is the best at what they do, you know? And it was evidenced by, you know, when I gave the production manager and the, and the art director, like a tour, I didn't even show them. It didn't occur to me to even show them where they ended up setting up. And of course they picked the most beautiful place to, to stage it. It was just, they're just pros a hundred percent. Pros. And, uh, we know probably 70% of them, Jeff, and just the most down to earth, hardworking, good guys you could ever ask for. Yeah, that was it. You know? And I think, I think we got lucky. At least I do as a, as a, as a fan of all music and a fan of the process that, you know, they weren't, they weren't having to pack up to think about going. They were, I think they were a little more relaxed because they hadn't seen each other in a while. So I recognize that it was, it was a special little vibe that we had there. So the sun goes down, they uh, start off with hardwired and you being the kind of not diehard fan, but fan of theirs, they play 16 songs out of those 16. How many do you think you knew? I'm looking at the set list right here. I probably knew set list even, um, that was probably like six, you know, probably like, you know, Sandman, Nothing Else Matters, Master of Puppets, Rome, um, Unforgiven, I think I knew. I mean, and then Hardwired, I, I knew just from that first record. And sure. The, the, uh, going down that Fuel Seek. I don't even know if these are the names of how they put them on here. Fuel, Those are it. Uh, like Creep one dead set like sad i didn't i didn't know those bands i didn't know those songs so when they played dead and moth were you like oh time to go get some wine you know it was it was i definitely it's funny you say that i definitely that might have been (laughs) (laughs) i mean it wasn't it was uh yeah now that we're dead time for a bottle that that was it you know i need a bottle uh jimmy i'll tell you one thing though i'm not doing anything unless i get a bottle of liquor from you don't care what happens 
<laughs> but it was you know it was good i mean that was they just have such a catalog i'm dying to talk about you guys as lifelong fans i mean i guess it goes without saying you have to love their first three records or else you wouldn't even be like we love we love them all i mean they all have a special place in our heart you know some more than others um I guess what I was kind of curious to know is, so as you're starting to dive in a little deeper with the Metallica, you know, catalog, what are some of the uh, albums or songs that you're starting to lean towards being a newer fan? Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I put a, I did this little playlist I'm looking at. I, I, um, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Californication. <laughs> Basically, yeah, you know, like Freaky Styly. So I actually like I did almost I wanted to write a little diatribe about this because one of the things that I do is I love to bring young bands to the to our our we have a barn we we have the amphitheater but we also have this 100-year-old redwood barn that's really cool it's a great spot to see a band it's very unusual and I really am a big believer you know I I read somewhere right before I turned like 37 that after 37 you stop experiencing new things right and that you could sort of get it that's an interesting age and so like it's random you know that that but always stuck with me and i always was like you know when you're like you know when i sort of imprinted on the chili peppers in those days that was my band and that that move you know that moved me more than any band ever has since but i got lucky enough to keep open-minded for whatever reason i love music enough that like Throughout my life, whether it be when I have a kid or I'm having like some sort of there's always been new music that's sort of been the soundtrack for this. And it's one of those things where that I believe that that streaming allows you to do where you can reach out and find older music that is new to you to like speak to it. And so, you know, and I was so I I went through their catalog. I went first to um, looking at because of Rick Rubin did uh, I'm looking at the name of that to make sure I have death magnetic. Yeah. Death Mag- Like That's the one I went first. And like, there's a song on there that I love called, I think it's end of the line that I'd love that song, but I could a great song whole album. And uh, of course, I, I mean, what were my takeaways? The first three I'd, I'd, I'd tried enough of those when I was younger to know that they weren't aside from the hits, they weren't really for me. And Hardwired, I was like, holy shit, this band fucking brought it at this stage of their... Hardwired is an incredible record for so many reasons. It's a great one. But then if you think of it in the context of their catalog, it's like, this band brought it. Like, at this stage of their career, people would kill to have second albums or third albums like that, let alone the last one. But the one that I just... I'm beating around the bush because the one that I can't stop listening to um, is St. Anger. And that, and I, yes, and 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 it was so, oh, and it's yes. so funny about this is I know that like I just gotta be straight up because the Metallica fans all get shit off for it, but like for some reason in this world where we're fucking on fire and the pandemic's out there, like you can tell those lyrics are like heartfelt struggle, like he is fighting a new fight. Like at least that they are fighting a different new fight. And so, yes, someone that hears St. Anger the way I hear it. I love St. Anger. It's actually one of my favorite Metallica. Yes. Well, I thought that (laughs) the two Jeffs collide. Yes. Thank you. You totally I'm I'm blushing because I knew I was going to go out on a limb. I thought, I thought it was almost as like, like in the Lou Reed record, um, which I I think I'm, I'm okay with the Lou Reed record too, but. I'm not quite as okay with that record, but St. Anger happens to be my second favorite Metallica record. Well, I'm, I, 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 you know, what I started to do was I'm like, okay, what is it about this? And first of all, of course I read about it and somebody mentions the sort of un, unglued snare drum. Yeah, I had heard the record. Unglued. Or whatever the hell you call it when it's un... I like that term. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I probably heard the record like four times exercising, and I had no problem with it until somebody said it, and then that's all I could hear was the was the snare drum. But, but seriously, what I started doing was I'm like, I'm looking at their time frame, and I was like, okay, this is like 2003. They haven't made a record since mid-'90s. And, I, I mean, you know those guys love all kinds of music. And I just know they probably have like nine inch nails and all sorts of like hard, like EDM, like hardcore shit in their head, Soundgarden that they've just been 
soaking up and that it, it seems to me there's a reflection of a little bit of the environment that they're in musically in that in that record um but you know when i read all the little new, the little tidbits which is that the snare drum is one and the fact that there's no guitar solos i mean that that does that that must make a a diehard Metallica wince a little bit. I fan wince, I guess, especially guitar player. Um, and I, yeah, not me, but you know, it's all good. I don't understand why they did that. You know, I, I heard him interviewed. I heard Kurt interviewed and he said they tried to put overlay it on and he just didn't like how it sounded. Just guitar solos and music weren't popular at that time. I mean, yeah. you listen to a lot of bands of like the quote unquote new metal bands they weren't doing guitar solos at the time. It was all about low tunings and sludginess and heaviness and, you know, pretty much everything that was unconventional to the standard, you know, Metallica or metal record in general. I can see it now. The Gunlock Bunshu Winery uh, presents Frantic, Some Kind of Monster, and St. Anger Wine. I could, I, you know, I believe me. St. Anger Wine, I like it. I would, I would, I would do that. I don't. I wasn't shy about floating that around the powers that be, but they're into whiskey, so so be it. No. I um, I do have one more question. So you know, being a big Chili Peppers fan, um. And obviously, you know, you're diving into Death Magnetic because of Rick Rubin. We know that Rick Rubin's worked with the Chili Peppers and Slayer, Jay-Z, Eminem, all sorts of different yeah. people. Um, now that you've listened to Death Magnetic, compared to a lot of other Rick Rubin albums, how do you feel about the sound of the record? I am a fan. And I mean, I'm, I'm but I'm probably as much of a fan of his of what he's of of sort of who he's worked with and sort of his taste and his line. So it has that dry sound like, you know, a Slayer record. Yeah. But then you think of like he's even worked with bands like Limp Bizkit and you think of like the albums that or the album he did with with them. I know that album didn't resonate with me as much as I thought it might um given that Rick did it, but but somebody in their crew pointed out that uh that their current engineer is kind of a Rick Rubin uh, whoever's been doing them forever now since I guess. Yeah. Greg Fiddleman. Yeah. Um, Dude's amazing. But if you start, I mean, like if that, the, that, that, you know, that hardwired record is sounds so amazing. I mean, that, yes, it does. It sounds it just, like their live show on an album. It really is. So that, like, it is amazing. And uh, if you can pull that out of your in-house crew, then you don't need Rick Rubin. You don't need anybody. I mean, I mean, that sound is good, you know, so, you know, that, 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 I mean, it's just, that that record is impressive. The whole thing, that damn symphony thing I just watched tonight is my, the whole, they're just awesome. Their bottom line is they're just, they're bringing. I love that. You love the new stuff. And then just a kind of a rare back pocket song, like end of the line, one of your favorite. That's, that's right up there with ours. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's so funny because I was when in the same context. I was I've heard a couple songwriters say, and I have no idea if this how these guys work, but I've heard a few people, different people from different worlds, say that like songs exist out in the ether, and that the great and songwriters like bring they catch it and they bring it down and they kind of create it. And uh, and I don't think everybody operates like that, but I've written a few songs. I know, like ten years ago, I'm like I don't even know where these came from. How are they even here? And what's amazing about getting to go through a catalog as deep as Metallica's as a new brand new fan is you really all of a sudden sort of, if you're, you get to, it's like having music out in the ether that you can pull from that'll speak to you that you don't even know how and where it's going to get there. And, sure. uh, and there aren't that many bands that have that kind of a, you know, a lot of band, everybody's got some interesting music, hopefully, but there's not any bands that have that kind of catalog. That's that deep and that varied. And, uh, and then I think, I think because of that, some kind of monster movie and you saw how, how much they gave a shit about bringing their real selves to their music, their new music, even then, uh, you know, it's, it was hard not to be a fan of them, even independent of if you like the music or not. So when the show ended and they, uh, loaded off to your property, they say, Oh, by the way, here's a copy of S and M two. Enjoy. We'll see you in 10 years. Uh, you know, they, they, um, you know, they, Tony, those guys were pretty, pretty quiet about, I didn't even know 
that S and M two was, I didn't even know that was going on at the, at the same time. And, uh, and now of course I realized that was the real, that was, that was a major probably reason why they even got off their ass to do the movie was because it was kind of corresponding with it. Um, Sure. Good timing. And it was good. It worked out well. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I remember, you know, hearing that that was happening with the new chase center, which is the big thing where they did it. Um, but I just wasn't clued into that whole scene. Uh, and now I'm, now I'm like, when I saw that, I'm like, damn, I should wish I would have had a clue. I would have tried to get to that thing. That had to have been amazing. What was your favorite part of it, Shane? It was a beautiful event, fun weekend. Um, you put me on the spot of if I were to pick a highlight, like I told Edwin Outwater, he was the director and conductor. Yes. We had, we had him on a couple episodes so ago. Sweet that you did. I'm going to totally listen to that. Of all things, it was the bass solo to anesthesia pulling teeth that Scott Pingle played on an upright bass. So that was a tribute to Cliff Burton, a total tribute to Cliff. So on their first album, kill them all. It's weird on their debut album. They had a, a four minute bass solo from cliff, but that between that and his song, Orion on master of puppets is basically huge cliff staples in the metal world. Oh, and- so when Scott did a, a whole tribute and then Lars comes up for the last, you know, minute of the song, just like it is on kill them all. It hasn't been played like that basically since cliff died. That was the highlight for, for myself and probably 80% of the other diehards in the building that night. I get chills. Uh, thinking about that. I remember that. I remember, I remember Cliff dying. I was enough of a music fan and I'm old enough that when that tour bus happened, it caught, I totally caught that. And so, wow. you know, it totally, it took me a while, you know, afterwards to put it together that, holy shit, I remember that happening. And then this whole, the whole thing with Cliff's dad and giving the money to the school's music department the fact that like the band still sort of kept him as the spirit father for the, I mean, I get, that's just, you know, you realize it's just, I always tell my kids that there's no such thing as, as somebody that just pops into the world and is great. You know, they just do shit right for a long, 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 long time. And then eventually they, they end up in your radar as being great, but they started out that way and they work hard at it. And the fact that they like cherished Cliff's dad and, and, and the, I mean, it's just that, that right in and of itself is one little anecdote that makes that band so special. It's funny you bring that up. Literally 48 hours ago, I was up in uh, upstate New York having lunch with some friends on a, on a work trip I just got back from. And they're very close with the, the Burton family. Oh. And I learned that Cliff, um, excuse me, Ray, who's no longer with us, Ray took all of Cliff's royalties over the years and donated them to all uh, kids' music programs in the Bay Area. Yeah, that's that had just come out, um, and it was like, you know, I mean, that's just that's that's the kind of parent you want to be. That's the kind of parent you wish you had. That's the kind of parent you know you hope your your you know your grandkids have. You just that. I mean, that's yeah. pretty damn sweet, you know. Top notch family, but like I said, back to your question, it's amazing that a bass solo when you, when you have a seventy member orchestra with the world's most powerful band. And I'm telling you that a bass solo was the top event. That's how powerful it was. I, I I saw that tonight, and I didn't I didn't get it. I didn't understand what that was. I knew that it I had the reverence of something important, but now I really get it. That was uh, that was real. That's really that's a great one. Yeah, beautiful weekend. Two shows, and Metallica fans from all over the globe pretty much descended on San Francisco. We had some parties in between the nights of the concerts. A party before night one. I mean. It was it was all about the people, the vibe. It was the twentieth anniversary of S and M because they did it back in Berkeley in ninety nine, if you're aware of that. Yeah, I remember I, I read about that. I haven't listened to that. How are they different? The set lists are a little bit different, but uh I feel like with the with the new one it's it's a little bit more full and I don't want to say refined, but you can tell that you know, they took elements from the first one and took things that I don't want to say they did wrong, but things that weren't uh, maybe as powerful as they may have wanted it to be. And I feel like they just refined it a little more with SNM one or SNM two. That being said, for most diehard fans, you know, SNM one just has a special place in their heart, you know, just because of how monumental it was and how monumental it's been for the last, you know, 20 years. Um, 
but yeah, overall, there is a lot of similarities between the two. I'm just happy we got to celebrate it a second time because in 99, I was in high school and wasn't going to Berkeley. I'll tell you that much, Jeff. I believe it. You know, I mean, when you look at it's one, you know, it's one thing as a lay person to sit back, don't even pay attention to it. Like, oh, they played with a symphony. It's another thing to see it. And you realize sort of the scope of what a project that is to have all those musicians on 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 that and have. And I heard Lars talk about it in a few interviews where where. You know, we all know we're in rock bands. We play rock music where you can sort of look at each other and figure out how you're going to end, start. And those those musicians are always going to they're, they're fall in the sheets. So it, it it it's an it's an incredible display of uh, of musicianship. And then it's also a pretty pretty amazing sort of uh, application of Metallica music to a totally different style that you realize is not that far off. I mean. Uh, there's a lot of their songs that sound like they're orchest- they're orchestral. You know, I think I think the takeaway that I have after that I'm sort of a newfound metal fan was like punk rock kids like me who could only play three chords would gravitate to punk rock and kids who could actually play their instruments well would sort of gravitate to Slayer and and Metallica. You know, I think that was <laughs> that was my take like they're such good players that uh, that's a, when you strip it all down everybody in that band can really play. Of course. Yeah, very well put. We agree with you. When you went back to saying when you organize these this many people and this kind of production, that's why we want to talk to you. Most of us diehards have you know heard these songs forty four thousand times, and we we love the behind the scenes aspect and what goes into it and what we don't know and what we didn't see, and we we would have never known they were called Pluto for a couple hours either. <laughs> there you go well that's the secret word that in there and eventually i got the whole crew they thought they were more worried about getting fans there i was the mo- i was more i bet it was the only place on the planet where i was probably more worried than the host was more worried about the band of having fans find out about it because i was like freaking out that the covid police were going to come shut our ass down and make me look bad make the band piss piss everybody off so i was like so pluto baby that's what it was pluto yeah, in 2020, if you want to play live music, you have to tread very carefully. Yeah, you know, it's such a bummer. Um, it is a bummer. I'll Hopefully tell you that in 2021, we all can get back to some kind of norm. I hope so. You know, that, that I, you know what I also thought that that movie was the, the thing that was really cool about the drive-in was um, it's been a long time since I've seen a band as big as Metallica, like in a, in a, in a stadium. And like, you know, uh, and I had seen one, I have a daughter that, uh, went to Coachella. So I, I did like sit through a couple the big stage sets at Coachella. And what you realize is that you see, you know, you kind of are, I realized this watching that movie and watching them film the movie is that when you're, you know, they must be when they're playing to a big stadium, they're playing to the part of the crowd they can see. And then the camera people are sort of going, you know, showing kind of back and forth between the musicians. And as a fan back in the nosebleeds, you know, I realize that my, my attention is kind of split between trying to look at the little people that are real. And then the, what I'm seeing on the screen. And what was great about the movie was that like they were playing right to the camera and every single person had the same experience with the band, whether you were, and, and that made it that, that we, we all drove away from there. My friends and I have a bunch of friends that we see a ton of live music and it was like, wow stadium show what's your like vip of course is the best or front row of i mean if you can get anywhere near there that's it but if you started away like would you would you rather see a drive-in movie or like be in the far back it becomes a question you know it depends on drive-in for sure baby yep yeah you know i mean the problem is you got to be near fans fans are key but it was not it was not a it was not a bad experience to watch them up close in the movie and get them feeling like that great experience so when the night ended on your property and they loaded out people hanging out much did the band hang out or is it just like back to our bubble thanks for everything and we're out of here you know they i i pulled out pretty quickly but they they were um they stayed a little while and i you know i think what it was was the um you know again because the crew hadn't seen each other in so long the management and the crew that you know they they actually stayed at my they, my grandmother's house she's no longer with us it's kind of an office and it's an old ranch house if you guys come out i'm totally giving you a tour i'm thinking i'm going to even put a little plaque on the ground where they played for 
shits and giggles so we can that's cool we'd love to come out yes, yeah i would love to come take oh you guys have to do that and... you know but they hung out at grandma's house for i guess a couple hours after they played um just hanging and chilling which is a it's a perfect spot for it um but it's so easy for them i think you know for the most part except for robert they all have some 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 permanent or semi-permanent place to stay around here so it was it's kind of comfortable um but it was it was just it was you know you would have never known they were here the next morning you know they, that was my next question do you do you still find yourself looking at that same spot when you're working during the day going i yep, do sandman was played right here and i own this land i, I did i you know i kind of did i walked out and i like i even found a, a guitar pick out there just gravel <laughs> forever and wondering we're on squadcast.fm video conference he's holding up a hetfield white fang pick <laughs> listen some people might want to find gold in their vineyard but as far as i'm concerned this is the coolest thing i ever found in my vineyard <laughs> and that was left behind and you found it a few days later yeah well actually not this exact one i found i found one just like it i, fa- I found the one that uh this one actually oh this one is a hetfield so i found one just like this i thought that yeah, the, the little Hetfield. Very cool, Jeff. Thing. And you got an autograph set list, I see. Yeah, that one is. Uh, I showed you guys before. It's they got they got to see it. It's yeah, there it is. They sent it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to that for sure. And, Should frame it and put it up right in the walkway of the. <laughs> so it's funny. I, I, it. <laughs> I made put it right where the drum kit was. I made a joke um, when when I when I introduced the movie. And I riffed on um, the only time as a, a younger fan that I got anywhere kind of in the Metallica world was I'm a big Primus fan, you know, hence bass player. And, I, and Primus was playing in Marin and I went down to see it. Love Primus. And, you know, they, he's went to high school with those guys. So he's kind of. Yep. And so he gets up there and he goes like he goes, now I'm going to bring a special guest, my friend. Joe, he, he may have said Kurt, he may not, but he didn't say Metallica. He said, he, he's from Winger. He introduced him <laughs> from Winger. And so, and so, of course, like everyone was like laughing and then, until Kurt walks out and they all go batshit crazy. I didn't even know what I was looking at, but I'm going to frame that and I'm going to, I have a picture that I took that I can't, they made me swear that I couldn't show anybody, but it's a picture. It's a good picture of uh, them on stage, and I'm just gonna say it's Winger when Winger played the winery, and see how many people you see how many people get that. That's awesome. Kip Winger, she's only 17. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, that is so cool, Jeff. Talk about a once in a lifetime opportunity. What's next? Red Hot Chili Peppers in your backyard? You know, uh, believe me, when I was I was trying for that in the back in the day when I was calling everybody just as a greenhorn music person, and they. Uh, I want to say they're a Q Prime artist as well. They are. I mean, when I when I met Tony, they were all now 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 that whole crew I think works pretty much only with Metallica. But in those, yes. I, I couldn't believe it. They had the Chili Peppers, and um, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing. I've seen that lineup with John Frusciante before, and I've seen them. You know, I'm sort of I go. It's just, there's a lot of parallels to the old Metallica going through a few lineup changes, um, and I saw them all. I'd love to see him. Uh, again, it'd be fun. I wouldn't mind seeing Flea. I'm a big Flea fan, of course, if those guys showed up. Absolutely. Yeah. Jeff, you got anything else for Mr. Bunchu? Oh, man, he's he's covered a lot. He's told us some pretty amazing stories. And to say the least, I'm, I'm jealous. And now I want a glass of wine. <laughs> I want to change our band name to Pluto. <laughs> Yeah, if we ever come out and play a show, you can announce us as Pluto Jr. Pluto I too. I <laughs> yeah. would love. I would totally love to do that. I mean, that that would be that'd be sweet. I hope you guys do keep me in your uh, Rolodex. So if you make it west, you're gonna have to come out and play. Oh, absolutely. We make it all around the lower 48, everywhere you can think of. So we're as soon as everything goes back to normal, we're back out on the road. Nice. We'd love to love to cross paths with you. Looking forward to it. I think I'm going to go to gunbun.com and join the gunbun club. They got a red and white only, a red only, and then they, uh, is it a collector's case? There's a collector's case in there. Man, that's awesome. That's above and beyond the Call of Duty. I promise it's good. It's money back guarantee if you don't like it. Um, 
Uh, I do like red and white wine both. So well, there you go. Money right? back guarantee. So yeah. I can leave two drops in the bottom and go, eh, I didn't like it, dude. Yeah, it wasn't good enough. I, I'm going to need my money back. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. We had fun talking uh, wine, six generations of your family, the mighty Metallica, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and uh, a couple songs called Hardwired and End of the Line by a band named Pluto. Pluto. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much. Such a such an honor to be on and get on you guys for locking on to such a great, a great like uh, story and a, a great history and a great future for this band. I, I can't wait to see you guys bring it to life. Well, it was a monumental moment with our uh, favorite band in the world of hard rock. And thanks for making it happen without you. It, we wouldn't have had to drive in and we wouldn't have a, a great hour and five minute conversation with you, Jeff. Thank you. Right on. Thanks, you guys. And also. Also, thank you for agreeing on St. Anger with me. It really means it really means a lot. Jeff, now I'm gonna not like I you saw me, it took me twenty minutes to get around to admitting that I liked it. I'm now I'm gonna I'm I'm lean with that. You just Oh yeah, you, you always have to from now on. <laughs> you totally made it okay. When that St. Anger wine comes out, Jeff, we want a little royalty. I I, I, I you know what? <laughs> you go watch it. I don't know if I'll call it St. Anger, but I might find a way to reference it one way or another. Oh, that'd be so cool. A big red fist on the bottle. Yeah, there you go. All right, you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks again. That's Jeff Bunchu from Gunlock Bunchu Winery, Sonoma County, California. We will uh, see you soon, sir. 